0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Geek Town Radio. We've got a slightly different show this week because I happen to be on my own for various reasons. Uh, One of those reasons being that uh, we're at MCM Comic Con Birmingham this weekend. So it's just been incredibly busy. We've got um, a lot of other stuff coming up before the end of the year. I just haven't had time to put a full show together. But we did have a lot of really cool interviews when we were at MCM Comic Con. So I thought I'd put some of those out for you. The first interview we're going to have is with Jason O'Mara. Uh, You will know Jason O'Mara from a number of different shows. Most recently, he's been starring as Wyatt in Man in the High Castle. Prior to that, he starred in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Jeffrey Mace, a.k.a. The Patriot, so you might know him from that. Uh, He was in Terra Nova. He was the lead in that show, which was uh, cruelly cancelled too early uh, he's popped up in The Good Wife he was in Vegas uh, he was in the uh, US remake of Life on Mars um, he's also the voice of, of Batman in a number of the animated um, later animated shows or rather the other voice of Batman the one that isn't Kevin Conroy so he talks a little bit about uh, doing that about his work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. quite a lot about um, Man in the High Castle as well so here's the interview with Jason O'Mara we'll see you afterwards with the next interview
2: What well, King off with the most obvious question I guess are you excited to be here at MCM Comic Con looking forward to
1: it I'm absolutely thrilled I've never done a, a Comic Con in uh, in the UK before even though I lived in London for eight years and you know grew up in Dublin and Ireland so I've never never done a con uh, this side of New York really so uh, this is very very exciting I get to meet some of the UK fans some of my UK followers and uh, and Actually, you get to meet them as opposed to just sort of being on a panel or something. Actually, shaking hands, pressing the flesh.
2: <laughs> and obviously, I mean, Man in the High Castle season three yeah. was sensationally game-changing in a whole lot of different ways. You talked about looking back now. What you're most proud of when you look at that particular season, and how, particularly for your character, things have evolved.
1: Well, I'm certainly proud to be playing an Irish character on the show. There aren't that many uh, sort of UK and European characters on the shows. A lot of it's sort of concerned with what happens to you know America after World War II, when the Germans and the Japanese in the war. So um, to be able to play an Irish character, in particular, is something I'm, I'm quite proud of. But also, I think just the, uh, the journey from situation sort of in the second season where it seemed like the Reich was just rising and rising and rising. Now we have a situation where Juliana and Wyatt and their network are starting to resist, which uh, hopefully will lead in Season four to something even more proactive and um, put up some some sort of an actual fight, so we have that to look forward to.
0: You
2: not so long ago started being the voice of the animated Batman, yeah, um, which is obviously like a big legacy of many people before you. Is, how yeah. is that in terms of um, the response to that, and how you go about that in making yourself sort of stand out and compare to such traits that have done it before?
1: Yeah, it's one of those weird things. I think I think it's you're going down a blind alley if you try to set out to stand out from such an amazing array of of, uh, successful actors who have played the role. So what I tried to do is just figure out what I was going to do and try to do it to the best of my ability. And uh, rely on that really to to uh, distinguish me from from any other Batman. I suppose that I'm Irish helped, but obviously nobody wants to hear an Irish Batman, or at least that's what told. <laughs> there's one person. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I feel like it's something that's evolved over uh, a period of films. Um, so, if we look back at Justice League War, which was my first. Even though I did some interesting things in it, I feel like I was definitely sort of testing the waters and trying out a few different things. Whereas a few films later, I feel like it started to started to settle, you know, Um, and even now I still feel like I'm experimenting with the amount of humanity I'm able to imbue, particularly into... Bruce Wayne, I mean, what what sets my Batman apart from others is that he's a father, you know, to, to Damien. And that is something I'm obviously you know, able to bring as a father myself. Now, my, my son isn't a, a, a teenage mutant assassin,
2: but um, <laughs> he can be a bit of a brat
1: sometimes. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's what, 14? And Damien Wayne, obviously, is uh, can be... I mean, now I think we've evolved to a point now where Damien is kind of, his allegiances are pretty clear. But to start out with, you know, he was, uh, he was a loose cannon. So, yeah, I feel like I was able to bring some some fatherly qualities to it. And uh, I suppose just my own unique experience as a, as a human being. What's, in, what's, what's funny also is that I used to play and do voices with my son when he was younger playing with Batman's voice. Um, I never thought I'd be actually doing it. <laughs> and getting paid for it was that like an Irish Batman, or was that still like you did now? I was, I was. You know, I was probably. We were both watching the Kevin Conroy Batmans, so <laughs> Kevin is you know, hugely influential. I think anybody who's and I would never seek to pretend to be replacing Kevin. I'm as well as Kevin, you know. And I think there there are so many different. But it's not just me and Kevin either. There there are many other Batman voices, both in the animated world and live action, obviously and um, I think ultimately that just provides a universe where everybody can find their, their favourite Batman or their alternative version of Batman there's just lots to choose from but I know online early on I was sort of accused of trying to steal Kevin's
2: mantle and that's, <laughs> not, that's not what I was trying to do at all When you start voicing a comic book character it's a different breed of, of fact especially with social media how do you deal with that? both the positive and the negative do you, do you go in and look at the comments on Facebook or because there's a lot of talk about of
1: Batman
2: and how they portray him yeah. how do you deal
1: with that I've kind of I've dialed it back a little bit to be honest you know once I saw that that comment like who the hell is this guy
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was like wait a second I don't I don't need to see this because I've got to go in and record tomorrow I, I need to feel pretty good about myself um, no and, and obviously there's lots of positive comments as well but it's just if you believe the good ones you kind of have to believe the bad ones and then it's like are you going to respond just to the good ones and then if I'm responding to the good ones, then I'm just kind of self-promoting. And that doesn't feel right either. I'm not going to defend myself against people who don't like me because they can just switch it off. So I kind of have dialed back a little bit on on um, social media. I still like to interact with fans. And, you know, I'm an enthusiast. I like to be positive about things, you know, especially about things that make me happy or things I enjoy. I don't really have time for the... The negativity and and uh, and they both go hand in hand, unfortunately, especially on social media. So um, I've just kind of backed off a little bit, and and uh, I mean I'm still there, still have a presence, uh, but I don't go searching. I don't go to comment sections. <laughs> you know, I don't like go to like hashtag Jason O'Mara because that's just. Uh, that's a world of pain. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, you know, and ultimately you have to get philosophical about. it. You just go, you know, it's different horses for courses. I mean, it, it's some people are going to love it, which they do, and some people aren't, and there it's probably because they've grown up a seminal time in their life when they when they think of a different voice or whatever. I'm, I'm talking particularly about Batman, but but it goes for it goes for many of the sci-fi stuff shows and and movies that I've done that um, people have a very uh, strong opinion about this stuff because it matters to them and that's okay you know and it it matters to me too I don't personally feel the need to tell the world about you know what I think (laughs) (laughs) about one film or another about one version or another. I, I sometimes get upset about certain things like Star Wars movies and things like that. But you know, I talk about it with my friends. I don't have on social media. But some people feel the need to do that, and that's okay. I just don't get much out of it, you know, getting that critical and that negative. So I kind of just
0: backed off. You're one of the few people that's jumped from DC and Marvel. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. How, how, was on, <laughs> how was it working on that? How was it working on Agents of Shield and joining you know a, a sort of established cast quite late on into or a few seasons into it. Well, first of all, joining Agent
1: Marvel's Agents of Shield was just an amazing experience because of the people involved. You know, yes, it was lovely to get a phone call from Jeff Loeb at Marvel and uh, you know he pitched me this idea of Jeffrey Mace, the Patriot, which is you know something that we hadn't really seen. In Marvel, well, it, it was a character that was just generated in the forties. You know, that was when it first started to appear, and obviously had a very close relationship with Captain America, and and, and had various sort of, iterations and versions over the decades. But it, he was someone we hadn't heard from in a long time, and so that was really exciting the idea of, sort of resurrecting a character like that. But also what they did with it, you know, the sort of the the double bluff, and that he was kind of a weird guy, untrustworthy manipulating, lied in order to become a hero. And then that big twist sort of where he gets to become the hero he always wanted to be. And we end up, actually, we end up rooting for him. We end up loving him, you know, which is, if you watch that first episode where he appears, you, you can't imagine how that's possible. But really what made it special was getting the welcome that I did from, from Clark and Chloe and Elizabeth and Ian and Henry and everybody there. It was just, um, I wasn't prepared for that it completely disarmed me and i don't know if you've ever met those guys and they have been over here a few times but they're just they are like a family you know and uh there's just a, an incredible sense of inclusion and um you really do feel like you're you're uh, you're part of it you're not just a guest you know uh even though i was very respectful of that it was their set and everything but Um, it really was brought into the fold and and, and made feel really good about it so that was an absolute joy I didn't want it to end but I'm glad when it did end that I got the death that I feel (laughs) the character deserved because it was pretty it was pretty spectacular and and again that was you know that was sort of I suppose it ended up being about seven or eight months of my life on and off whereas with an animated film doing the DC stuff that's that's a day every few months, you know, where you go through all your lines, record them. Then they'll come back with some animation and you try to maybe match that up. Additional dialogue recording, ADR, they call it. And then maybe a, a final session where you need to put in all the, the fight grunts and grunts. <laughs> and uh, literally you're, you're in a room going uh, oh, all <laughs> all this stuff, uh, for about an hour and a half. You can actually lose your voice doing that. It's probably the most challenging part of it, actually. So, yeah, very different experiences, um, even though one's Marvel and one's DC. They were completely
2: different processes. Looking to the future, obviously, fans are very excited about what might be in store for us in yeah. the next season of Man in the High Castle. Are there areas, um, both in terms of the characters' relationships and the world that we're exploring, that you would be particularly interested in? To see the show go into?
1: Yeah, I mean, I,
2: there's loads of things I'd be interested in talking to you
1: about, but can say absolutely nothing. Um, but obviously there's, as I hinted at, I think this idea of uh, resistance becoming something, something real, I think that's a, definitely an arc and a trajectory that the show is heading in. I think um, this idea of travelling from uh, world to world is something that's going to become even more integral. And I love the fact that the show itself is committed to its sci-fi elements. You know, in Philip K. Dick's book, that stuff was hinted at. And then as the seasons, as the television series seasons p- progressed, it was something that kind of became more and more important. And now it's absolutely integral to it, you know. That's, so that's something that's obviously going to be taken into season four as well. So these are all elements that are going to be fully explored. And um, I know
2: what we've done so far is looking really good, I'm really excited. Talking about integral, I think the really interesting thing about Man in the High Castle is the relationships between the different characters. And yeah. I think particularly your relationship with Juliana um, is quite nuanced and, and um, increasingly important, it feels, as the show goes on. I guess can you talk about your wonderful co-star and why you think that has become a bit of a focal point for the story? Well, is amazing to work with. She... she um she
1: carries that. Yes, Rufus has incredible stuff to play as John Smith, uh, as do all the characters. But I feel like Alexa really carries that show. You know, it's um, she's the driving force of the story. Uh, so she works incredibly hard, uh, both before, during, and after the scene, to, um, to make Juliana as strong and alive as she can possibly make her. And I was nervous sharing scenes with her initially because she really... Becomes Juliana on set, you know, she becomes very strong, sort of inside and out. And uh I wanted to do that justice. And I wanted to be a match for her somehow, you know, even though it's pretty impossible. She's a very special character. But I wanted to somehow, you know, I wanted to bring something new to the party, which I think the writers really did, creating this kind of Humphrey bogart kind of Harrison Ford kind of character, you know, which I love playing. But um yeah, I think I think their relationship is. Um, yes there's some romance and some sexual attraction there but it's almost becoming this sort of meeting of minds now look it's, it's no I appear in season 4 so uh, as does uh, Juliana so I think everybody knows that so so there's going to be something there in the future in season 4 obviously I don't want to spoil anything but put it this way Liam why it's nom de plume I suppose you could call it is uh, his real name He's he's holding a torch for her you know And uh, so I think I think his attraction to her goes beyond just something he's interested in, in terms of romantic relationship. It's he realizes, as other people who have met her realize that she's she's the key to all of this and um, that she represents cause that is worth worth pursuing. That that's basically their only chance at um, some version of freedom. Do you have to wrap
4: it up? That's just getting interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: So that was the interview with Jason O'Mara. I hope you enjoyed that one. The next interview we've got is with Ingrid Alaya, whose name or face you might not recognise, but uh, it was a really interesting interview because she was the actress who played Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. So uh, we had this little chat with her just talking about the process of of doing that and sort of what it was like to be part of the uh, whole Star Wars experience. We had a lovely chat with her. She was really, really nice, and she talks about the process it took to bring that to screen. So, here's the interview with Ingrid. We'll uh, see you afterwards for the next interview.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
4: Hello, my name is Emil Dana.
2: It is lovely to have you with (laughs) us at Have you been enjoying being part of the Comic-Con?
4: Definitely. It's been um, a wonderful experience so far. It's my first time in Birmingham, first time with MCM and I'm very glad to be here
2: (laughs) and of course one of the reasons you're here is because you have a a small but very unique part in one of the biggest film franchises of all time Um, can you talk a little bit about how that journey started for you
4: sure yeah um well I'm I'm I never thought I would be in, in such a uh huge and beloved uh, universe uh, as Star Wars is and uh, on top of that playing such an iconic character as Princess Leia Um, so it all started with a a very anonymous casting call, a very secretive uh, casting call in London and then it led to uh, three rounds of auditions and in the end they they cast me (laughs) which I can't believe but I'm very grateful Obviously, for
2: a traditional casting um they're looking for you as a performer and your look and all these kind of things I'm curious, given the specific nature of the effects that were going on for this appearance can you talk a little bit about what they said they were looking for and what you think uh, made you the right fit for the role in the literal sense.
4: Yes, well I was lucky in the sense that uh, uh, me and and Carrie Fisher are very similar in height and build that was uh, something that had to be there uh, sort of the first hurdle and then it was a matter of Uh, being able to mimic her facial expressions uh, in a in a believable way and i i prepared by watching the old Sowell's films on repeat for a whole weekend again and again paying special attention to her facial expressions stopping looking looking at myself in the mirror looking again <laughs> so it was a very um uh, minute detailed process and very different from uh, how i normally prepare for a role so but very very interesting as well
2: and as someone who has literally studied carrie fisher's facial expressions <laughs> can you talk about the, the things that you discovered doing that in terms of her um unique mannerisms as a performer
4: well um uh, it was also uh, a discovery in general of, of how uh, each person has sort of a, a fingerprint uh, or a signature way of moving their muscles in, in their face and also body posture, um, uh, where they keep their way to point of gravity. Um, so it was, I don't know, it's hard to, I'm trying to think now if there's anything uh, particular she did. I remember there was something about uh, how she flicked her eyes. Like, like in that scene where uh, she meets Vader for the first time like right after where uh, in the very beginning of, of uh, A New Hope and she meets Vader in the hallway and the, this little interrogation scene and I remember I saw it again and again and, and like how she flickers out her eyes when uh, she talks about how uh, annoyed the, the Imperial Senate will be or something <laughs> right. and yeah it's like uh, it's all there this information but we, we don't really have the time to process it so it was interesting to slow down the time and really take a proper look
2: i think obviously it's such a beautiful moment that ties together the new films and the old films yes um, how does it feel to you for you now knowing that you're at that connection point between um, you know Rogue One and, and this new world of adventures we're having and, and these classic films that mean so much to so many people
4: well it's it's a huge honour and uh, also a huge responsibility I was very uh, nervous about how fans would react to uh, bringing uh, Princess Leia back and, and, and tying together the, the old and the new, and Rogue One being um, sort of a more experimental uh, standalone piece, uh, but still very close to the to the trilogy in terms of the spirit, the, the grittiness. Um, so yeah, it was overwhelming in a way to to stand in between those two, uh, the old and the new. But I just had to trust that that uh, Lucasfilm and Disney had made the right decision and, and that I was doing my job well and, and that it's sort of out of my hands.
2: <laughs> and just in terms of the actual techniques that were used, obviously I think um, audiences look at the screen and just think, oh, they've done it with computers. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about what the actual exact process was for you in terms of how much of your face you were, were actually seeing versus how much is CG, mm-hmm. and- and, and whether yes. or not you were marked up with little dots or if it was just a normal performance
4: yeah um, well it, it started uh, with the sort of uh, technical prep in uh, LA in San Francisco so um, okay. they did sort of the he's called the light stage where you put in a in a globe of light and then they take pictures like 360 and make a digital uh, model of you so that's what they did with me and, and Guy Henry and um then i i had to hold still and 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 have sort of the the, the basic human uh, facial expressions like smiling or sad or frowning or crying um and then i also looked at specific uh, facial expressions on Carrie Fisher's face and tried to copy them as well uh, while doing the the light stage uh, and then the, the brilliant people at ILM worked on my face I think for six months uh, or maybe more um, uh, and then for the shoot itself in London it was more of a um, regular shoot at least for me except that there were more cameras on set so there were a few points where you could look at without like looking into the lens <laughs> so you have to be a bit careful and Oops, sorry and of course you had the uh, i had the dots on my face so i looked a bit like a an exotic fish or uh, that i had some kind of strange disease so people had a bit of uh, trouble focusing on my eyes i remember when talking to them um but but for me it was uh, pretty straightforward in terms of uh, the performance of the day, which was great to have that freedom
2: <laughs> I mean obviously it's very exciting for fans to see these cameos and um, you know the gifts that technology is now giving us. I guess I'm curious as an actor yourself how you feel about the broader issue of particularly as the, as this technology improves and becomes more yeah. fluid and more easy um, the ethics of kind of portraying other people, and um, you know the extent to which using other people's likeness and bringing. Characters back, or making characters look like younger versions of themselves. Yes. Uh, I guess. How do you feel about that as a wider issue, and how it changes the the notion of what it means to be an actor?
4: Yes, it's a very uh, interesting question and and uh, thought provoking development, which is happening happening very rapidly. And I I am quite sure we will see a lot more of this um, in the future because uh, it gives more. Um, freedom for the filmmakers that they can have these uh virtual uh people on file and they don't have to pay them as much and they don't need a trailer and so on um uh, and also you can create more uh, fantastical expressions on screen that can be more interesting to watch and so on um but for the actor it becomes a bit of a dilemma um because you're sort of you don't know what your image will be used for, and in what context, like giving away your rights and And also the ethics of bringing people back. Like I remember there was a uh, commercial with Audrey Hepburn for for the Cadbury chocolate, I think, and and one with Bruce Lee for some beer or something, which I read uh, he didn't drink or he would definitely not have approved of supporting this brand of whiskey or whatever it was. So it's it's difficult, but it's kind of inevitable. And I guess the sooner they have... um, figured out the ethics of this the better so we don't walk into this and and sort of regret it later <laughs> so it has to be done with care but i think i'm, I'm all for um new innovations within technology so i think it, it's a great uh tool but it's how we use the tools that matters.
2: I guess very specifically for you, having um, been a part of that process of bringing Carrie back, albeit that very brief moment, I'm curious if in the future you have the opportunity to do the same in subsequent Star Wars films and spin-offs and prequels and sequels, because it seems we're never going to stop getting those. <laughs> Would you be happy to go back and do that again and be part of helping to do that for a second
4: time mm. yeah I think I, I it would be wonderful uh, and a huge challenge for me it depends on how the, the family of Carrie Fisher feel like how they feel about it uh, but if, if they are okay with it and if it's done in a respectful way then yes it's it's kind of an offer you can't refuse really <laughs> but it would be really really scary but I, I'd still say yes yeah
2: <laughs> is there anything else you've already said yes to I guess my final question now what else have you got coming up at the moment You should be excited
4: um, well right now I'm, I'm working on a, a strange project it's it's part web series part feature film and it's called Out of Place Artifact it's a Belgium Brazilian film uh, and I play an assassin who uh, works for sort of a Viking-esque secret order. And it takes place all over the world. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a strange tale. But uh, I'm very excited. So I'm, I'm, I'm off to uh, shoot in Norway uh, in the snow with some Vikings in early December. And, yeah, it should, uh, should be a, a fun project. <laughs> well,
2: warm. Good luck with the Vikings. Thank you so much
4: for joining us. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you very Thank much. You.
0: <laughs> So that was the interview with Ingrid hope you enjoyed that one The last interview we've got this week is with the legendary David Morrissey um, You know David Morrissey from a million different shows Most notably you'll probably know him from The Walking Dead where he played the governor uh, He's been starring in the Sky Atlantic series Britannia most recently He's uh, was in The City in the City this year He's was in The Missing Extent uh, State of Play He also starred as Gordon Gordon Brown in the deal as well, which uh, we chat a little bit about in the interview. So, mainly we're talking about his his work on uh, Britannia and on The Walking Dead, though. So, I uh, hope you enjoy this. Here's the interview with David Morrissey. <laughs>
2: I guess kicking off with the obvious one have you been enjoying yourself at Comic Con do you uh, enjoy
3: yeah I, I, I have this morning it's uh, it's nice because I just came off from London this morning and uh, I've been at the table all morning I've just done a and a and I really like you know I like meeting the fans I like that thing of getting their questions and talking to them about the shows I've done and that's the really
2: great pleasure for me is meeting, meeting all the fans and someone who's been part of so many fantastic franchises film shows what are the most comparable most common questions that people are firing at you when they get a chance to Well,
3: the Um, the, the questions are very varied. I mean, sometimes it's about character arcs in the show. Sometimes there are uh, technical questions about how the the show works. Sometimes there are fantasy questions about who would you like to play in the show if you didn't play yourself. Things like that. They ask me about the show now, even though I'm not in it anymore. They ask me about what I feel about the trajectory of the characters that's been happening in the storytelling. Uh, Also, sometimes it's about the logistics of the show, you know, how it's put together so all sorts of questions I get. sometimes I get questions about how I feel Liverpool are going to do this season <laughs> yeah you know all that so you know I get lots of different questions but I'm always amazed by the questions concerning the shows like Britannia Walking Dead uh, Doctor Who about people's opinion about the, the the development of the script and the character and where the show should be going or where they feel uh, you know they'd like to see it develop and where they've loved doing it and stuff like that so you know they, the fans of these big franchises like doctor who walking dead britannic they take ownership of the show you know they really care and i love that i love meeting people and, and chatting to them about their passion for the project
2: on the uh, subject of the walking dead i uh-huh. think just announced that they're going to start doing spin-off films now uh-huh. would you be interested in doing a prequel show how
3: governor came about or yeah it's i mean i've been asked that a lot i mean I love my experience on The Walking Dead. I mean, it was a show I'd love to go back to in any capacity. You know, I've often said I'd make the tea for them if they asked me. <laughs> uh, because it was, an, it was a wonderful experience. And it's a show made by fantastic people, really talented people. And, you know, you want to work with those people. I love the character. I feel like, you know, there's, the character's got more to give. Uh, and I think that's why the show gets actors, of you know, good, good actors in it. Because... They give you a backstory. They give you real things to play. And it's, you know, it is a survivalist show, but it's something about the human relationships inside the show that really click into people, I think. And, uh, yeah, I would I would go back in the shot. And, and also, you know, I have to say that Andrew Lincoln is an actor who I admire, as a man and an
2: actor so you know to do anything with him would be pure pleasure I mean you obviously care about the character just as much as the fans do I'm curious what is it when you say you love the character what is it you love most about I
3: I like his complexity I think there's a whole sense of the governor where he's not just out and out evil he has his moments where he has this red mist (coughs) that comes over him but he does have a conscience I think the whole thing with his daughter is about him being a good father he does have humanity it's very warped because the world is warped. But you know, he—I can see the inner struggle, in, particularly in season four, the inner struggle inside him, to where where he morally sits. You know, he, he is fighting the dark side in him a lot, particularly in season four. And you know, that's that's a battle that I think we all have in microcosm, sometimes but we all have it that we go who do I listen to do they do I listen to the good angel or the bad angel and he has that and I love that complexity and it's capacity for love and then it's capacity for calm and And then I get to do lots of cool stuff Jumping on this, really, the question about uh, would you would you go back to filming? I'm assuming you're aware that there's a, a number of novels that my daughter's just read, The Rise of the Government, yeah, things like yeah. that, which seem and because it was co-written by Robert Kirkman, it seems that. It's already written there if it needs to be turned into a film. Is that something that has been discussed? Well, the great thing about uh, Jay and Robert's novels is uh, that's where I took a lot of the characterization for the, for my governor. Uh, there's the comic strip where I went to the books and I read the books. And we did use some of the story stuff from those books mm. in the season. You know, the whole thing about Brian and Philip and and the whole thing about with the family that he rediscovers in season four that's from the from those books but I think they're wonderful I know yeah yeah, I'd love to do that you know as I say you know I I love the world, I love the genre, I love the character. So, you know, if if the powers that be deemed it right to do it, then, you know, I would love to. I think it's, um, you know, sometimes you walk away from a job and you think, I'll finish with that character. Uh, Whereas the governor, I don't feel that. I think there's a lot more to mine, right? But uh, I think this, I think possibly every actor that's been on The Walking Dead could say the same because they write so well for you. You know, they give you fully rounded characters. There's no one coming in, as far as I can see, coming in and just, you know, you know, giving a few lines. There's people coming in, and they have really good, good storylines to play. One of the new projects you've got. So the up project in? I just finished uh, about two days ago was uh, Britannia's season mm-hmm. two. Okay. And uh, again, you know, written by Jez Butterworth and Tom Butterworth. And it's, uh, we take it onto another level this time. You know, it's second season. Uh, my character, Aulis, is now deeply embedded in Britannia. He's building cities and roads and all the things, you know, that Rome has gave us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, but he has another agenda, and that is totally to, to find Kate. And use the druids. And the druids are in slight disarray. There's, the, the, there's different factions emerging in the druids. And Aulus is able to exploit that in his relationships with different factions. And he's a, quite a wily person, I think. But his desire for this search for this spirituality and this underworld that the druids have, the druids have this amazing capacity to live in a spiritual way and sometimes very dark spiritual way and i think jazz you know what i love about his writing when you know he wrote plays like jerusalem he's really interested in that pre-christian existence that we have and how we as a as a as a nation work before the onset of that roman christianity that was brought to us and i love that particularly because in that we see tribes and then people having a respect for the land and for like any sort of indigenous people had really. They had a a real spiritual connection with the land land, around their environment, and how they used it and honoured it. And uh, I think we as, you know, in our 21st century was slightly lost. Well, definitely. Lost. Yeah. So
2: it's about, I love the fact that Jez explores that as well. And it sounds like it's a bigger world that we're moving into in the second season. I'm curious, are there new characters and new areas? Yeah, that, there's it?
3: lots of new characters. And um, there's new areas in the sense that he explores the Kate, who is the main focus of everybody's attention. She's growing up, you know, she's getting to a place where she becomes maximum danger for for, for us. So we explore that and we explore the fact that he is, he's having to be the ultimate politician. The new characters are people like Emperor Claudius comes to Britain, played brilliantly by Stephen Pemberton. Steve Pemberton, who uh, was a mate of mine. And you know, he there's a power struggle there. So suddenly Hollis having been top dog, he has to play second in command or not even third third in command sometimes not good at that. And, you know, there's a confrontation between them. And it's a very dangerous place for Horse to announce. And how he negotiates that in a very, uh, I would say, recognisable political way in, in, in the way we see our politicians now is very interesting. So, yeah, there's lots of that.
0: Another project you've been working on recently was uh, The Good Owners. That's another show with a phenomenal cast. How is it just being involved with that?
3: Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Neil Gaiman. You know, I just think he's a bit of a genius, right? Really. So when that was music, I just jumped on it and said, yes, you know, I play Captain Vincent and it's uh, yeah it's not a big huge role it was a day's work for me but I love being involved with it I didn't unfortunately get to work with David or Michael uh, two actors I admire and have worked with in the past but uh, yeah you know it was great to do and uh, just such a blast to be involved with actually I think it's such a great book and you know and, and Neil's writing is something that I think is really you can lose yourself in, in such a wonderful way so yes I was jacked to be a part of it but I, I haven't seen any of it yet who so, you know.
0: And you mentioned working with Michael now, which of course you worked with them um, yeah. the deal. The crown of course is running from the same guy on Netflix at the moment. Eventually they're probably going to get a point to needing they Gordon Brown again. Will, yeah. Would you be interested in reprising the role? I'd be Michael's surprised,
3: going. I'd be surprised if Peter um, went Wemper for- Right it's I think he's sort of um he's really covered that it you know and it' would be interesting what he does with Diana as well because mm. obviously that's something he's explored as well, so it would you know I think the next season goes up to through the seventies, yeah. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what he does 80s 90s I saw Olivia Coleman the other day and she's really enjoying being in it so I'm looking forward to it it was a a TV show I thought thought I'd hate I came to I thought I'm not going to like this and I loved it. I thought it was a really wonderful piece uh, and um, yeah so I'm looking forward to the new cast as well Yeah, and Tobias Menzies as Philip who I, again as an actor I, I love and Helena Bonham Carter who's just you know, a, a wonderful shooter so really looking forward to those people taking on those roles I loved you in one summer it's one of the first <laughs> things I remembered on Channel 4 it still sort of sticks with me today it's very fat, powerful he seems to be an actor who's been very fortunate very lucky mm-hmm. um, all, all killers no fillers are you at a point now where you are able to be more choosy? Where you say, I'd love to work on Good Omens, I'd love to work on Britannia, yes, please. And therefore, are you able to say no to certain things? Yes, I am, luckily. I mean, I am lucky. And I do think that what I've tried to do in my career is build choice so that I can have different roles. I also work in the theatre as well as TV and yeah. film and stuff like that. I do a lot, you know, radio and voiceovers and stuff like that. So it is very challenging for me. You know, I, I like to be challenged. So the different roles that come, I often think, have I done this before? What's he going to ask of me, you know? What's well, something you haven't done then that you'd still want to scratch? You're too young to play Lear at the moment. But yeah. I believe your Julius Caesar was very good. I love doing that, yeah. I, I played Mark Antony and Julius Caesar. I s- recently saw Antony and Cleopatra at the National with Ray Fiennes. Were they doing and, all right? They were great. <laughs> so I think I'd like to play Antony and Antony Cleopatra. But I think there's... those big Shakespearean roles, Benedict and stuff. And there's a lot of Chekhov I'd like to do. I've never done Chekhov uh, profession. So, yeah, those things. But also, I like to put myself in the way of surprise. So, you know, I like to... Uh, Britannia is a perfect example for me. I was sitting at home. Jez found me up and said, look, I just got onto this job. I don't know what it's going to be, but I promise you it'll be fun." And I said, OK. <laughs> because I wanted to work with him. I didn't know anything about the character. I didn't know anything about the script, really. I knew the world and I knew what the, their ambition for
0: it. Mm.
3: All I knew was this was a great, great writer whose work I'd seen in the theatre and admired and been excited about In Jerusalem, I saw several times. And so, you know, when he comes knocking, you go, okay, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. And I think that's the thing. I think that you can't be cautious as an actor. You have to be brave. You have to jump in and, and really, who knows what will happen. And in a way, I don't, care that much how it turns out is sort of the least interesting thing for me it's more about the adventure of going on it's about working with great people and working together with them once they take it off and do what they want to do with that's up to them and that for me is sort of the least interesting thing because I, I'm on it on a day to day basis and that's the bit I like so, you know, when I go to screenings of stuff, I think it's great, but it sort of has nothing to do with me. Mm. It seems it has less to do with me than I want it to do um, Whereas the great thing about theatre is even in its execution, it's still got something to do with you because you're doing it right there. Yeah. And That's the thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like to challenge myself and mess it up. And, and, and do. That. And, and also, you know, I like to, sometimes you choose jobs for different reasons. I like to see the world. You know, so sometimes the same
2: with yeah, Shooting in the Bahamas, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, I'm in, I'm in. Uh, I think we might have to let you go quite soon. Okay. But just a final question. I think you talked about iconic roles there, and I think, obviously, in the modern canon, the role of the doctor is very much one of those. Yes. I'm curious, as an actor who, at least superficially, felt to have come very close to taking the role, mm-hmm. um, how you feel about art? Um, current doctrine, there was a significant change that represented, and, and if there was ever a, a possibility you were going to take the role. There was never a possibility that I was going to, it was uh, was a slight
3: uh, curveball that c- came to me because I filmed the Christmas special and we filmed it in February. It was called The Next Doctor and I was playing mm-hmm. a man who thought he was the next doctor. Just after we'd shot the, the episode, David Tennant announced he was going to leave, so then this rumour will happen, and Russell asked me to sort of not say that it wasn't. <laughs> and I said, okay. and then I said, but I can tell my kids. And he went, no, no. Can't tell you. They'll tell someone in the playground and then i will go. And I thought, OK, so I won't tell anybody. So, you know, for about six months, I'd, nobody knew that I wasn't going to be here. But um, I think Jodie's fantastic. And I think it's about time. And I think she brings a real different dynamic to it. But I think she's got all everything the doctor needs. I think, you know, what happens when anybody takes over from the doctor, it happens to Peter and Matt and, you know, David to a certain extent, is up here not as good as the last one. And it takes time. It takes time for that new vision. And, and obviously with Jodie, there's other people as well, because behind the scenes, there's new writers and showrunners and stuff. That'll take time, but I'm really enjoying it. So, you know, I think it's going to be a really exceptional piece mm. of work as it goes on. But they all, every new doctor has this, this time when people are bit I don't know much. So we'll it's all season to Thank you so yeah, much.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for all the questions. So that was the interview with David Morrissey. Hope you enjoyed that one. We should be back to a normal ish show next week, although we are heading into December. So that means. The Geek Town Awards from the 1st of December the Geek Town Awards will be back live on the website we've got another big prize for you again this year uh, we will be doing something relating to the Geek Town Awards on the podcast usually we do it slightly beforehand but because of the way Con fell this year it meant that I've had to jiggle things around a bit so uh, we'll probably launch it on the website first and, and then we'll do a, a podcast for it but keep an eye on the website from the 1st of December you'll be able to go on and vote for your favourite TV shows movies, video games and stuff throughout the year and be in with a chance to win a huge prize so uh, 1st of December on the website for that keep an eye out I'll just do a couple of quick air dates for you as uh, there isn't much starting next week there's only three shows you've got uh, Kidding the new Jim Carrey show that's a comedy drama about a children's TV presenter who is going a little bit stir crazy Uh, that starts in Sky Atlantic on the 20th 9th of November. You've got Vikings which uh, comes back for second half of season five to Amazon Prime. That's on the 29th of November as well. And F for Family season three. That's coming onto Netflix on the 30th of November. Uh, so that's your lot for this week. As ever, if you want to find out any more information throughout the week, you can go to geektown.co.uk and get all the latest air date information. Uh, if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, you can email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website post. Find us at Geek Town on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Geek Town and YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geek Town. There are a lot of interviews going up on there this week or up on there now, actually, including video versions of the interviews you've just heard. So if you want to see them as well, you can go and find them on YouTube and also Instagram at Geek Town UK. Lots and lots of cosplay photos going up on there. So if you're a fan of cosplay, go and check out Geek Town UK on Instagram. You can also find us on Spotify, where you just need to search for Geek Town Radio, you'll find the podcast on Spotify. That's everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye.